Welcome to Black Girl Voices, a podcast created to cultivate change through conversation, community, and education while centering, uplifting, and amplifying the voices of Black women, girls, and femmes. Here we will talk about everything from trending topics to Black history to our own personal experiences as Black women. It's like a coffee chat with your best girlfriends. You will laugh, cry, keep it real, and most importantly, get uncomfortable. We are your hosts, Siobhan Montgomery Haynes and Caroline J. Sumlin. Come on in, girl. We have a lot to talk about. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Black Girl Voices. My name is Caroline J. Sumlin. And I'm Siobhan Montgomery Haynes. And today we have a special episode. We are going to be talking about National Adoption Awareness Month. And we are turning our host into our guest today. Um, <laughs> since, since Caroline, um, she is adopted, so she has experience with adoption. And we want to definitely hold space for this month. Um, what better way to do it than to check in with our host and, you know, let her tell some of her stories. And it's going to be like a little bit of an interview style today. I'm going to get to grill her a little bit. Are you ready, girl? Oh, no, I wasn't until you said grow me. I was like, oh, oh my goodness. I don't know if I'm ready now. I'm no, nervous. no, no. I'm not. I, I'm, I, listen, I, I just had to uh, keep you on edge, but it's it, it's going to be fine. I'm We're like, going to be This fine. is going to be a therapist session or I'm a chia pet. Either way, I don't know. <laughs> well, let's start by, um, first of all, if you guys have not checked out the post that, um, was created and posted on um, National Adoption Awareness Month and the Black women that are kind of changing the narrative around adoption. Definitely check that out. Um, I think there's a beauty in listening to different stories and different voices. And so being able to go to the different accounts that are listed there and kind of listen to their stories and, um, you know, travel their journeys with adoption, I think is absolutely beautiful. So definitely go check that out. And um, let's dive in. So Caroline, why don't you, I think, you know, you've talked a little bit about it, but why don't you just briefly outline your story before I jump in with questions? Um, okay. I was adopted. Well, I was born in Bronx, New York. Both of my pa- biological parents were intellectually disabled, um, which was at the time in 1990, I guess, when I was born or when adoption was being finalized and written on paper, which would have been 96. Um, It was known as mentally retarded back then. And so the um, IDEA changed that, the Intellectual Disabilities and Education Act changed that terminology um, much later on. So now we say intellectual disabilities, but um, back then it was mentally retarded. I did not know what that meant all of my life. I knew that my, my biological parents were delayed or challenged in some way, but I didn't really have a good grasp of what that meant. Um, as a child, because, you know, unless you have direct contact with somebody that has developmental dis- disabilities, you you don't know what that means. So that kind of was always a question on my mind of what that meant. Um, but that was essentially what happened. They were not only intellectually disabled, but they were, um, of course, people of color. My biological mother was Hispanic of some shape or form, way, degree, I don't know how. 
or where her country of origin is. My biological father was African-American. My biological mother was a ward of the state. Um, She had very little family. She, from my understanding, lived in a home like that was basically supporting um, Hispanic people and um, other people of color in that area of New York um, for people with disabilities. And my biological father was kind of like in and out of like living in, you know, in, um, in housing that was permanent, you know what I'm saying? So kind of in and out of homelessness. Um, So two people of color, very little money. And of course, as a result, um, it was deemed that I would be brought into social services. Um, My biological father's mother didn't want to not have any control over kind of like what happened to me. So somehow she became my foster parent. Like somehow she arranged for her to be the licensed foster parent who is receiving the check from the state of New York to foster me. Um, She was very young. She had her first child when she was a teenager, like before she was 16. So, and her Mm -hmm. first child was my biological father. So if he was only in his twenties, you can imagine how young she was at the time. But I think like maybe her early forties, if not late thirties, I don't, I don't know. Cause she was really young when she had him. Um, So she was basically the single woman living in Queens, very little money, working, had this boyfriend, wanted control over where I went, received the foster check, but then she did not actually, was not the one to care for me. She essentially, she didn't hire a nanny, but her boyfriend's mother and sister lived in the projects in Spanish Harlem. And so I... She gave them like part of the foster check and sent me to live with them. Okay. But she would see me on some weekends, things like that. She might pick me up on a weekend and drop me back off, but it wasn't consistent. Very much a part-time parent. Absolutely. Yes. They were pretty much taking care of me full time. Um, And I know this not from memory, but just from like what my mother knew and was able to communicate to me when I would ask her stories and questions about my adoption. So, you know, from her understanding, she was like, these women were older, they weren't very healthy. They weren't really able to like pick you up all the time. And so they left me in my crib a lot and I stayed there for like hours at a time every day. And I did not have clothes that fit. Like when my mother was um, my mother that I have now, my adoptive mother, whatever, when I was brought into her life, like my clothes didn't fit, my shoes didn't fit, like my my toes were permanently scrunched together because of like shoes that were too small, things like that. So there was definitely neglect happening in that situation. Um, But, you know, God is good in a way, I guess it's weird. I, I don't, I don't guess he is. Like, I definitely feel like my story while it still brings me a lot of pain, I can see God in there because I see how like it could have been that I was sent to be with anybody. Um, But basically what happened was after two years or so, my biological grandmother had essentially broken up with this boy that she was with, this man, boy, they were young, immature, et cetera, living, like I said, they were living in 
everything was the projects. Everything was low income. Nothing was, you know, nice in this situation. Um, she had broken up with this man and he went back to live with his mother, I guess. And so he was in the same little like tiny rinky dink apartment with his ex-girlfriend's baby and his two, his mom and his aunt or whatever. Mm. And social services, I guess, was doing like a check-in and found out what had been going on. And so they were like, you got two weeks to get this together, to get that baby out and to have a better living solution or she's coming with us. Um, so my biological grandmother actually knew my mother. They had met from a friend of a friend of a friend mm -hmm. and they kept in touch periodically. Like it wasn't some sort of super close relationship, but it just so happened the year before that, when I was like one, my mom was visiting somebody else in the area. And she was like, you know what? I have an old friend that I know in New York City. I would like to see what she's, what she's up to. I haven't seen her in 10 years kind of thing. Right. And that was when I was one. And she's like, oh, you've got to meet my granddaughter. So she, you know, picked me up from the, from the house or the, not the house, but the apartment that I was in and showed me off as if I was hers and, you know, kind of pretended like she was doing something great for me when she wasn't. Um, so there's actually a picture of my mom holding me when she met me for the first time when I was like maybe one, one and a half, something like that. Oh, wow. And um, she had no idea at the time because she had actually told my biological grandmother, she was like, I'm, I'm in the process of adopting a child. That was, she was actually in the process trying to adopt and that adoption fell through. And so when social services came a year later and told my biological grandmother like, hey, you know, got to get this baby out of the situation. She called my mom and she was like, are you still adopting? Are you still looking into adoption? And she was like, yeah, actually, why? And she was like, will you adopt my granddaughter? I don't, I need to, I need social services going to take her if I don't figure it out and I can't take care of her. So will you do it? And so she literally got on a plane like the next day, came to New York, wow. picked me up, was not legal. <laughs> like this oh. is actually illegal. <laughs> That's just the funny you part. completely out she the state. took me out the state. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Thank like, you for the I packet. found out, like, I found this out like a year ago and I was like, wait, but what? things are so different back then too. <laughs> you definitely could not do this in this day and age. <laughs> she had like, when she got, when, you know, she had told just a couple of her friends, like, I'm going to go pick up a baby, like, you know, pick me up from the airport kind of thing. Not a lot of people knew about this. And, um, and even, you know, my father, which was her separated husband at the time, he like helped a little bit, but didn't know right away. Like she, like he went, she went to get me and like, hadn't even told her husband that even though they were, oh, wow. they were, they were legally separated, but they were legally married still. And she did right. not call him up and say, Hey, gonna go get pick up a baby. Right. She literally like brought me to his house a couple weeks later and was like, I have something to show you. <laughs> I got this package on Amazon. <laughs> if you'd like to see it. So, yeah. So, you know, anyway, the rest was history. She had to, kind of backtrack a little bit she had she I think was already licensed to foster mm -hmm. because she was in the process of adopting so that was like kind of the easy part but she still had to like renew her foster license she had to have social worker come in and like you know do is do a check and everything else like make yeah. sure like they could have very well been like you didn't do this the right way we're sending the child Bring this back. baby so back she was kind <laughs> of like on edge but thankfully you know she was she has always been one of those well-connected black women that had like mm. a, a lawyer and knew the network had the network right. that would get it done right. and she got it done. And then, 
Um, but the adoption itself was not finalized until I was six. So I was technically her foster kid for three years until oh, wow. I was adopted at the age of six. Interesting. That's, okay. That's so that's like, I was going to say, so that's pretty much the basis of the story. So let's dive into, you know, some questions. Like I wrote down some, some questions that I think a lot of people might, I mean, even myself would have about adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is the hardest part of knowing you were adopted? Because did you, would you say you were aware of it at your age at, at age three? Well, maybe not three, but like by six, you knew this was not where you were born. Yep. So what would you say is the heart was the hardest part of always knowing that you were adopted? Cause you know, there's some instances where people don't know until they're like 10, 12, whatever. Right. Right. I don't have memory of finding out the story of me finding out is one that my mom told me that I don't remember happening. Mm-hmm. Well, one of my, I, I think I found out when I was about four and okay. um, so that was really only about a year and a half, maybe, maybe just a year. Cause I was, I was almost three when my mom like picked me up like over two and a half. Um, so I found out when I was like four and it was just like one of, one of my mom's friend's daughters who was like a couple years older than me told told me she was like my mom told me that you're adopted (laughs) and I like went home and I was like mom insert name here Becky Sue said I'm adopted what's that and my mom was like so we're going here today (laughs) not that she wasn't planning on telling me but it was just not at the time that she was planning on telling me but I don't have memory of that so like you said by the time my my adoption was finalized I was in the courtroom picture you know, with my mom and dad holding the gavel, teasing right. like, my adoption, you know, so, um, and I, I do vaguely remember that day. So growing up, knowing that I was adopted was, I mean, I, I felt everything. It's, it's literally never not around you right? because that is not very common. I didn't I knew other people that were adopted because my mom had a slight network of friends that had adopted other children oddly and what's cool about that is that we hear a lot on social media about like transracial adoption but my mom's network of friends were all black parents prominent affluent black parents in the twin cities who had adopted black kids and that is not talked about enough so like kudos to the network that that we used to go to like these adopting adoption meetings. I didn't even know what they were at the time. I was just a kid meeting up with other kids, right. but it was like this little adoption, like book club almost that, that she was in. And I remember to this day, like going to that building and, and doing that. So like, I, I became aware of those people, but like, those were people that I would meet, like meet up with like on occasion um, and things like that are like my God sisters actually were adopted. So I knew my God sisters were adopted, but I don't think I realized that until I was like a teenager. I didn't know okay. that they were, had been adopted too. Um, I didn't know that the people I was meeting up with in that little adoption club were adopted. I, I didn't know right. that. It didn't until, dawn on you. It didn't like... dawn on me. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I'm sure, I think my mom may have told me that, but I, I don't know. So I say that to say like, you know, there was those meetings here and there, but those may have been once every other month. Or, you know, I saw my god sisters on holidays, but they didn't make those connections. So I still felt like I was the only one and of mm-hmm. course, like in my school, felt very lonely. Yes. And the people that I was around the majority of the time, I mean, everyone's parents, they, everyone else was born to their parents. Everyone else knew 
I was six pounds, five ounces. And I was born right. on this day and this time. And I look just like my mom and I have her nose and I smell like her. Like what, you know, like all those things you just, you know, you're the only one that doesn't have that story and mm-hmm. can't, we'll, we'll, we'll never know how much you weighed at birth. We'll never know what that birth story was and, and all those different things. And we'll never look like their family. Like you'll just never have that. And that was, I feel like that was just in, in, even even subconsciously, I think that was just always there. Um, and that felt hard. That felt lonely. That felt isolating. And also, I will say, too, like, thankfully, there's there's some awareness being like there's attention being brought to this now as we're like really normalizing the conversation on adoption. But like teachers didn't think about this stuff back then. So where they're making you do a family. I was going to say the family trees. The family I, when trees. you said six pounds, five ounces, I instantly thought back to like family trees because me, I remember mm-hmm. going home. And asking my mom about her labor and Mm -hmm. asking her for the pictures. And instantly my heart, like the impact in me was like, oh, well, the kid who is adopted in my, I'm sure, I'm sure at some point I've had maybe one child who was adopted in a class, you know, at, at some point in, you know, my schooling, but the kid who was adopted in my class did not may no. not have had that information and that Typically, is isolating. No, that that information is like literally burned I feel like you, you could not could not get it if I showed you guys right now like if I was able to show you physically like these are my adoption papers and you would you would be like shocked as to how thin it is it's like it's like a build-a-bear like, certificate it's <laughs> literally like that's it like nothing you know so right. the fact that I have no, like no one thought to just write those things down and make sure it was included in the paperwork. Like we can't even just get how much I weighed at birth. No, we can't get that one. That's fine. Um, so yeah, things like that, the family tree, um, biological DNA stuff. Oh man. In 10th grade, I remember that. And I was just, I, I had to like fight through doing this project about DNA and I'm like, and that's me, right? Like I don't have, right. I don't have that privilege. I don't know. So, you know, or you go to the doctor and they're always asking about family history and you have to say, I don't know. I don't have a family, a family medical history. So mm. those, those things I, I all across the board, pretty much with almost all adoptees, I would say, unless you're really, really blessed to have some sort of fantabulous open adoption mm. um, is, is that's pretty common. Um, okay. Well, let's dive into a little bit more of an emotional topic and by all means, feel free to skip, but let's talk about your biological mom. So Mm -hmm. I know that you have stated many times that you don't, you, you don't know much about her, Mm -hmm. but do you think that she knows about you? I know that we said that she was in a, I want to use the correct term now. Um, She was intellectually, intellectually intellectually disabled. disabled. Mm -hmm. Yes. I want to make sure I'm using the correct term. Um, so I know that you said she was intellectually disabled, but do you think, do you believe in your heart that she knows that she had a baby and that there's a baby out there and that she maybe longs for that baby that she had? I've asked myself this a lot. And I think, I think the answer is yes. Hmm. Um. So, well, a couple things, a couple things I'll say. I wondered all my life because then I saw like, you know, the former, the former terminology for intellectual disability on the paperwork. Like it says a reason for adoption. 
mm-hmm. mild to moderate. It said mild to moderate mental retardation. I was like, what does that mean? Like when I saw my paperwork when I was 16, so the first time I saw it, even though my mom had always told me like, you know, they had challenges. Like I was, I was, I, that was, that was the story I was given. Like right. they had challenges, like challenges and they weren't, they weren't able to care for you. They had challenges mental, you know, and I would like, what kind of challenges? Well, they had mental challenges. That's so like, that's what I knew. Mm-hmm. But when I saw the paperwork, at when I was 16, I was like mental retardation. At that point, I, I had an idea in my mind of what I thought mental retardation was intellectual disability to be more, to be of course, much better terminology. Um, but it, you don't really, you, there's, there's it's so much more to it. It's very broad. It's very yeah. broad, very broad. When I was in school in middle school and high school, I would volunteer in the special education room. And I, what I saw was very, very disabled children that were like wheelchair bound and could barely speak. And I would feed them. I would do these things as like my little weird way of enjoying how to spend my time. I don't necessarily say weird, but like I would choose not to do things like recess. Like I would be like, I want to go here and I'd be the only, and I just, I did that on my own. Like I just liked that for some reason I was drawn to it. I don't know why. So um, not, I don't want to say it's weird, but it was weird. It's like a kid typically doesn't choose to make that right, sort of like right. choice for their own free time. Like instead of playing on the playground, they're choosing to go volunteer. They're not told they have to, but that's just what I was in my heart. So, but that was the only picture that I had. So when I was 16 and I saw that, I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't get it because how would somebody who has developmental delays, like procreate, if you get what I'm saying, like, I just, to be very honest and be into it, you know, to be honest about just my lack of awareness and knowledge right especially at that age at that like, age you, especially you like i barely i never had you just you know, see never one done the deed myself of, so yeah yeah you just see one scope of, of of mental intellectual disability right exactly. you don't know that it 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 supersedes just this one you know right so i really i really didn't know and i was i was also told things like well you know my your, your biological mother didn't know how to read she didn't know how to write and that's true she had did not receive any sort of um like my biological father from um, he attended a special like a special education day school and received the special education diploma, mm-hmm. the alternative high school diploma, which I know all about now because I taught special education high school. And my biological mother only did like a workshop day program and received like no formal education, does not have did not have a high school diploma, did not know how to read or write. And she had like, you know, the people that were, I guess, in her home. They had to be the ones to read her the paperwork, to sign for her and things like that, because she could not do those things herself. So right. being made aware of that, I'm thinking this woman probably doesn't know I exist. I don't even know how that, how she managed to get pregnant with me. And I was also told, and some of this is through my biological mother, my biological grandmother, excuse me, who that one that, you know, kind of like fake fostered me. I had a very sporadic communication with her throughout my upbringing until I was about 16. So she told me a couple stories here and there about, well, your biological mother didn't know that she was pregnant for like eight of the nine months, like things like that. And that I, that these are stories that I've been told don't know how true they are because my biological grandmother was also a pathological liar. So I don't know what's true, but I'm getting this picture in my mind. I'm like, okay, I don't think she probably would know who I am right you know um which probably in a sense gave you a little bit more peace do you feel like not at all 
No, no, it didn't. It made me feel like, well, dang, like how, how I even managed to get here in the first place is beyond right. me. Okay. You feel more displaced. If anything. Absolutely. And I, 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 if I, the only thing it made me feel like was I couldn't really be mad at her. She didn't give me up. Right. Uh, I think that's what I meant by peace. Like you felt like maybe not right. that, that, that resentment. Yeah, I didn't feel resentment toward her. I felt resentment toward my biological grandmother because she did a whole lot of trash things throughout right. this whole process. And so most of my resentment was towards her. Um, but for her, no, I didn't really have a bunch, any re- real resentment. But I, it also made me really sad to think that the woman that carried me probably didn't even comprehend my existence. Like there, there's, there's, that's, yeah, that's kind of tragic. Someone so, did a disservice to her is what it sounds like. But the thing is, I'm saying that to say that I don't know if all that's true anymore. And I, and for two reasons, one, because, you know, she was able to talk. She was able to, she was, a, you know, it was a mild to moderate disability. And so when I, when I taught special education high school, I feel like that was the way that God was kind of like, here's an example of what your biological parents may have been like. And when I met those students, it clicked for me. And I was like, oh, the more that you know, I had a rate, I had a, a spectrum of students, but the students that were a little bit less severe, the ones that could hold a conversation that could take themselves to the bathroom that had menstrual cycles and knew how to change their, their menstrual things, even though they may have needed reminders sometimes, like those right. are the kinds of things that, that I would, you know, work with those students on like, Oh, you know, it's been six hours, sweetheart. Let's change that. Right. <laughs> things like, like that. Or, yeah. yeah. You know, or let's, let's remember, did we remember to shower today? You know, things of that nature can't really do any math whatsoever, but, um, you know, can, can barely count to 20, but for some reason can hold an entire conversation about government. Like they're, they're, those, right, the they had their own like, intellectual right. abilities, but you can, you see, you, you definitely know the delays are there because they're, it's right. the adaptive functioning skills that are the most delayed when it comes to intellectual disabilities. That's, that's really where it, that's what qualifies you in intellectual disability versus like autism is your adaptive functioning and what your ability, what your capabilities are and your, your IQ score, your IQ, of course, has to be at a certain less than 70. So, you know, I, I met those kids and I was like, okay, I, I could see where this could happen. I could see where these hormones, they, they still adults, they still have, right. you know, functioning male and female hormones and have crushes on each other and went to the cute special education prom and danced uh-huh. together and did all those things that was just so awesome. So I literally saw what I, I felt like, okay, that could very well potentially have been what my biological mother would have been like. And if that's the case, then I absolutely think she would have remembered who I was. So that kind of gave me a little bit more of a picture of her. And the last thing I'll say is I have the address that she used to live at. I do have that. Um, that was on the papers. And one day I was doing some Googling and I found that the home or the, the organization still exists that she was a part of, that she used to live at. It still exists in New York. And I found their website. And I there's not a whole lot on their website, but there's some stuff on their website, blog, things of that nature. And I clicked on something and it said something along the lines of, we are... Something about like, like child reunification, how many adults in their program had had children taken from them. Oh my God. And they are work, they're offering classes and support for the, the adults to maybe learn how to 
be parents if mm-hmm. their kids are still like maybe in their youth. I, it was I it wasn't Just super reconnect. clear when I saw that. I was like, oh my goodness! Like I feel like I could low key call them and probably find out information, but I just I I can't bring it to myself to do that. So seeing that though. And seeing pictures of the adults, the, the intellectually disabled adults on their website, kind of doing their, doing their programs and their activities and working with their caregivers, I felt like I was looking at anyone that could have been my biological, my biological mother and seeing that she's not the only one that that's happened to, that many of them have had children taken from them and now they're working with them to help them with that. I'm like, huh, there's something there, you know? Right. That's, that's definitely heartbreaking. And I can't imagine just the what ifs or just the, the constant wondering um, that takes place there. So thank you for sharing that. Um, something else I wanted to touch on was um, I hear this often with adoptees and um, it's the feeling as though something is missing mm-hmm. and, and not necessarily knowing what the it is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> would you say that to be true for yourself? And could you describe maybe what that feels like? I know that again, that what it, what, from what I've read, there's no, it seems like no one can just, dis- no one knows what the it is, it, but it's but not it. tell you. There is a missing <laughs> thing. And yeah. I think that really intrigued me because that seemed to be kind of across the board for mm-hmm. a lot of adoptees. I mean, of course, I'm not speaking for everybody here, but for just a lot of people that I was reading when I was diving into blogs and things like that. So could you kind of describe to us what that missing puzzle, it feeling emptiness, whatever it is. Could you kind of describe that for us? Yeah, it's definitely true. I've always known something was missing. I've always felt a combination of just like displaced, like there's a hole in my heart. um, Like there's just something missing, something that's supposed to be there, but that's not. Yeah. Um, And it's, hard to describe hard to describe <laughs> yeah it's describe. it's I really don't know that there's a word for it but I think mm-hmm. what has helped me to understand it a little bit better was I've only ever been to one adoption support group ever in my life not because I didn't want to continue going but I just couldn't I just didn't live in the area and it didn't I didn't anyway so but that one time I went really opened my eyes like it was like I got so much from that one meeting and that's they they introduced me to the concept of the primal wound and the fact that there's a whole book about this primal wound and it's the psychological effects that happen on your brain when you're separated from your biological mother at birth specifically the biological mother you know because that's who was carrying you so knowing and the way they described it was the same exact trauma in your brain that happens when you lose a parent that you know so at the time when I went to that, to that group, I hadn't lost my father, but I have now lost my father. So I know how that feels, that deep, deep grief and just traumatic loss, like somebody took two-thirds of your body and ripped it out of you or two-thirds of your soul and ripped it out of you. That's how it feels when you lose a parent and you never get that part of it back. You just never right. get it back. Like it's just gone. 
would you say that the feeling is comparable now that you've experienced both right. the, the loss? And now that I've, yes, now that I've experienced both of that, I would say it's comparable. The only difference is, not say the only difference, but the difference is that I not grieving somebody that I knew right. and I don't, you know, the grief happens. Which probably feels even stranger. It's very strange to grieve somebody you don't, you don't know. Don't know. Yes. But it, it had, you know, it's to imagine, but to imagine that same, like, I, I remember when I lost my father and I felt, s- I literally felt the physical feeling of like half of my body leave, like half of my, half of myself right. leave my body. And it actually happened because I lost five pounds that day. Like could literally happened in the physical because it was happening in the spiritual, emotional realm area. Right. So to imagine that same thing happening to a tiny newborn who's only, only understanding of life itself is their biological, is their mother. I'm not going to say biological, is their mother, is the, the womb they were inside of. That is mm-hmm. the only scent. That is the only thing that they are looking for and that can comfort them when they arrive. Right. And for that to go, whether it goes immediately or it goes in a week, some yeah. biological, you know, it doesn't matter. It's sure, still, yeah. still there when they come. Right. Right. So I think that's what's missing. I think it's yeah. just, that's what happened. Right. No, that's deep. That's heavy. Um, and, and I think what's even heavier is the fact that there's nothing to really nothing to replace it or nothing to really heal it. I mean, there's healing Mm -hmm. that can happen, but nothing that can give you that total healing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Because even if you were to meet your biological mother today and form a relationship, you still missed those primal years that you were talking about. So that's, that's definitely deep. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, well, uh, briefly about your romantic relationships. Okay. How would you say that being adopted has affected your ability to love in romantic relationships and as a parent? Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> I man. I was going to get a little deep. <laughs> <laughs> um, with my romantic relationships, I would say I have a fear of abandonment. Um, I didn't realize that until I was married, I don't think. Um, I, didn't, I didn't recognize what it was. Right, right. But like, like, for example, the way that I will process, like, my husband, like, say, for example, we're having like a regular day and like he starts coming down with an illness and he needs to go lay down. That triggers trauma for me. I'm like, oh, my God, you're leaving. You're leaving me. Oh, wow. And I get, ang- I get angry about that because I feel like I'm being rejected, not rejected. I feel like I'm being abandoned. Right. Um, and I, the, when I finally started to recognize what that was and why that was there, especially thanks to so much adoption literature that's out there now to help adoptees really process the way adoption affects them psychologically, it's been like, oh, okay. I see how much, not only... Well, I'll say one thing. It 
it really helps me to realize like my mental health concerns that I've or challenges, I should say, that I've had my entire life are not just random. Like, oh, I've really right. been affected by this. And I always, I didn't really, I knew I was affected by it to the things that I, I would think about. Like I told you about things that would affect me as a child, but I didn't know that I was affected in that deeper way, that deeper, that deeper way with mental health. And now I see how my adoption is probably the sole cause, if not, or, or at least the, 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 the main cause, the root cause, that's the better word, of every single mental health challenge that I've ever struggled with and everything that I've ever struggled with in any of my relationships. So yeah, it, it's really challenging. Um, and, you know, I, I was actually telling my husband the other day, like I, I felt like I was, I was going through kind of a hard time and having some anxiety. And I was like, you know, I really don't want you to go to work tomorrow because I feel like I need you. And I said, I don't want to admit that because I don't want to sound like I'm codependent, but I really do feel like sometimes I just can't like be without him. And, um, and that's scary. And I know like, of course, when he went to work the next day and like, I was able to manage, like, I I know it's fine, but like, you know, you'll be able to manage. Right. And I don't, I, I don't want to sound like I'm some sort of like creep. That's like, codependent and like can't function it's not that it's just like this deep overwhelm that that comes in that's just like that just yeah like abandonment just feeling like I've been left alone to fend for myself as I was for so long from the moment that I was born I think that's just I don't I I think that's I don't think it's ever going to go away I think I think that's that's here to stay and that I think has affected me in many relationships I would say even in my parenting Um, there have been times where I feel I've noticed like when my children kind of like reject something that I, it could be simple. Like it could be like a toy that I picked out for them and they maybe reject it. And I feel like they're rejecting me and abandoning me or something like that. Or like, um, you know, I've, I've noticed that times where, like, even though I, I, they, they, they really do favor me and I, I didn't do that on purpose. I promise. Like they just, they do favor me typically over their dad. They love their dad. Don't get me wrong, but they just have right. a, that they're just drawn Deep to me as, mama. The, as mama. Um, but like little times where they may show like they don't want me, like they would rather have dad. I think it pains me a little bit deeper than, than average. Cause I, I think right. in a way I feel like maybe they'll leave me too. And I, but I will say that in a deeper way, I think I'm so afraid to fail them because a, I know my adoption trauma is real and I Mm. don't want to pass it on to them. And they're my first biological family ever. Like that's huge. Like your, your biological child is your first biological connection. Your first family member. Like you're starting the first generation, starting the first generation over again. So like there's this pressure, this heaviness to not screw that up. And I know I never want them to feel abandoned and I, I don't want them to ever get like, I, I never want to screw something up to the point where they, they don't want to have anything to do with me. Like my, my worst fear is, is just screwing all of this up. And I think I, I overparent, I think as a result of that, because I'm just, I, I hold the relationship so delicate, so delicately. And I, I feel like I have to be perfect in everything that I do, because if I'm not perfect, then, then people will leave me. Hmm. That's hard. That's really hard because, you know, a lot of people already have some of those insecurities, but yours are so deeply rooted because of your trauma. Right. And it's just, it's, 
it's hard because it's like, how do you overcome something that is ingrained in you? That's literally been a part of you since birth, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, wow. Wow. That's, um, that's deep. So I don't want to, I could go on and on with this because it, it is somewhat fascinating to me, not to say that your trauma is fascinating to me, but no, I, that, <laughs> it, that's real. It is. Cause it's not something you talk, you hear much right. about. It's and and it's nothing it's I will do. <laughs> right. It's nothing I will ever be able to experience. You know mm. what I mean? So therefore it, it's, it's, it's a learning experience. So, yeah. um, but I'm going to wrap this up with this one question. Um, if you could tell an adoptee, let's say, let's say she's 20, right? If you could tell a 20 year old adoptee struggling with self-identity issues, one thing, what would it be? You're speaking to her right now. She's listening. She's on the phone with you. She called you for this one question. She said, I'm struggling with self-identity issues because I'm adopted. Mm. I would say, I know that you feel like you're a mistake, but you're not. Mm. You're not a mistake. You don't have to earn your place here. You don't have to prove that you belong here. And that's where I would end it. <laughs> I, that right. sounds terrible, but um, no, no, but, um, and I, and I picked that because I feel like it's something that you might currently be struggling with or that oh, in every day you <laughs> will be struggling with. Um, every so I day. picked that question to kind of like stump you a little bit because yeah. I wanted you to think kind of into your own self and maybe talk to your own 20, 20 mm. year old self and think about like, what, what would you have said to her? Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I think. That's so hard. I mean, at 20, I was, I was so in, in such a lost place of myself right. and felt, I, I mean, and you, when you know how, how bad you view yourself or, or I was going to say you, in your twenties at any point anyway, right. It's already with, hard. With, with what you allow, you know, and right. I, I allowed a lot of things to happen that had I valued myself and actually knew that I was not a mistake. Mm. Um, I would not have allowed those things, right. but I didn't, I thought that, you know, I, I, I am worth S H I T. So I'm just lucky. I'm, I'm lucky. Anyone wants to love me. I'm lucky. Anyone wants to, wants to give me any sort of attention and things of that nature. Right. And that's that so take the bare minimum. Yeah, I'll, absolutely. Yeah. I, I put, took the bare minimum and, and thought it was gold. Um, so yeah, I, I think I would tell that person like you, I, I totally understand like why you feel like you're a mistake and you've been living with this your entire life and feeling like how in the world do you validate being here when you were born to people that weren't able to care for you? Like, I think this, that knowledge alone, like knowing that I was born to people that couldn't take care of me, it sucks. Like, right. why me? Like, why couldn't I be born to people that wanted me and tried to conceive me and do all these things and prayed to get pregnant and this, that, and the other? Like, why couldn't that? Why do I, why did I have to go through everything to, to even get a family? It could have been the, you know, like just, just knowing those kinds of things, it just, it really messes with you. So you it's, I mean, it's like you said, like, I, I definitely still wrestle with this. Like I still right. pretty much in every single thing that I do, which so much of it is parenting feel like I'm, I, I, and everyone tells me you're so hard on yourself. You're so hard on yourself. I'm hard on myself because I don't, I've not broken up with that feeling of, I need to prove that I deserve to be here or deserve 
what's given to me. So I was blessed with a child with with a children. That's not it. I was blessed <laughs> with children. I was blessed with a husband is what I meant. So to you say. should just be grateful and don't complain and kind of thing. Well, not even that. I, I have to prove that I deserve them. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I have to prove that I deserve these kids. And so anytime I screw up, I feel like I, oh my goodness, like, you know, you have to prove that you deserve these good things. You have to prove that you deserve this life that you have mm. because you weren't planned for. You weren't right. wanted originally. Like, even though my biological mother, like, was in biological father, like, yes, they were intellectually disabled, but like, it's not like they were having, let's be real, like, not like they were having sex to have a baby. Right. They still right. weren't trying to get pregnant. Right. You know, so it still wasn't like, oh my gosh, we want this baby. We're so ha- we're so happy she's here and we get to keep her and love her and, and she gets to be with the family that she was intended to be with. And I, I question every day, like, why was I born into this family? Like, I don't, it's not like a, like a shame thing, but it, it's like a, like knowing the history. And I, I'm sure many other adoptees, when you, when you learn like the history of like your family, like certain things that I've learned um, that were on the adoption papers. And all I saw was like, you know, biological mother, and the history was mentally retarded and then biological mother or biological mother's mother died age 41 alcoholic oh, biological wow. one brother parentheses drug abuser one sister i'm like well damn <laughs> like you just i didn't stand a chance type of thing I, literally <laughs> literally so it's just you know and and the this it wasn't much better on my biological father's side with my bio- my biological grandmother, grandmother had many problems of her own, you know, yeah. like, like I said, she was living in the project. She's dating this dude, this, like she, she didn't have her stuff together either. Um, so it was just all a hot mess. It was a mess. Right. When I, and I say she didn't have her stuff together. I, I literally, her own son, she didn't even claim, like she didn't even, she, she once told me when I was like, when I had some conversations with her, she would tell me, you know, because he had 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 problems and he was he could potentially be living on the street. I don't really know where he is. I don't really associate with him. I'm like, you don't mm-hmm. associate with your own child who has mental like who's who's intellectually disabled. Like, what? who are you like? So just right. all of that and how I was like pretty much she would only contact me and only want to be around me to be able to kind of like use me as like some like sort trophy. of trophy. Yes, there it is. Right. All of that is like, h- how? Like, what? Wh- how did I pop out of that? Right. And, and in a way, you are a little resentful because it's Absolutely. not that I'm not yeah. ashamed of my biological parents having an intellectual disability. That's not their fault. No. But what I'm what I'm upset about is the fact that that's how I had to come into this world. Right. You know. So that. Mm-hmm. That that one messes with me, and as a result, I, that, that did not answer your question. But as a result, no, I, in in a way, it did because yeah. I mean, you you kind of said that you know that's some that's something you're still struggling with. So yeah, I mean, I don't it, really it, have an answer. That's right. why I'm struggling with to answer the question because it's and maybe the answer yeah. is that it's okay to be struggling with that. Maybe mm-hmm. that is the answer to the to the twenty twenty one year old mm-hmm. that that's okay that there it's it's maybe it's okay to not have an answer or try to f- solve the problem or maybe the answer is that there is no answer and that you just kind of have to find your way to healing you know 
And I would, I would say then to that person, you are worth fighting for. You are worth the healing. Like you mm. gotta, you gotta do it though. You're worth the journey. To You're the worth that journey. Yeah. Cause the I healing is not, the healing ain't no destination. It is a journey, but you are, you are worth that. Don't give up on that because one thing I will end it on this is that the suicide rates within adoptees is very high. Yeah. And and it's, I think it, it, I think adoptees are, I don't know what the statistic is, but like 30 times, 30% more likely or whatever to have suicidal ideation or to have committed or attempted suicide. Mm. And I'm one of those people. I'm, I'm a part of that statistic. I have struggled with suicide ideation for as long as I can remember. Um, right. Suicidal ideation, I guess. And, um, and it is literally by the grace of God that suicidal ideation didn't become, become suicidal reality. Mm-hmm. but many adoptees don't make it that far. Right. And I, I would tell any adoptee to, to please hold on to, to seek help, to fight for yourself, for your life, because your life does depend on it. And you are here, which means you are meant to be here. Right. No matter how you got here. That's good. That's good. See, so you came up with a beautiful <laughs> answer. Anyway, we had to we had to climb Mount Everest to get to it, but we got a beautiful answer Sorry. out of it. We Sorry. got a beautiful answer out of it. But no, I I just I want to say to you, I appreciate you. Um, just first of all, letting me, you know, interview you and you know, kind of take you out of just the role as of, of of host and just sitting in the hot seat for a little bit and kind of digging through your trauma because even though this is something that, you know, we need to bring awareness to and we need to talk about that doesn't make it less hurtful. It doesn't make mm-hmm. it less painful for you to talk about it. Um, and so, you know, I'm just, I'm thankful that we have, a, a vo- we have voices like yours um, in this space. So thank you guys for listening. Um, definitely when we uh, post on Instagram, let us know what you think in the comments. If you're an adoptee yourself, we'd love to hear your voice. Um, maybe we'll post some on stories. Maybe we'll put a question box uh, about something adoptee related and just kind of let adoptees weigh in on it and kind of mm-hmm. tell a little snippet of their stories. I think that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening. As usual, there will be a link in our show notes to anything that we have mentioned here. Um, Join our Patreon if you have not already, and we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Black Girl Voices podcast. If you loved today's episode, we would love it for you to leave us a five-star review. If you would like to support our work, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash blackgirlvoices or head to our show notes for the link. Lastly, we would love to hear from you. Come follow us on Instagram at Black Girl Voices and say hello. Remember, you are heard, you are seen, and you are loved. Your voice matters. You matter. See you next time.